Uh, Let's pray as we stand. Uh, Father God, we thank you that you are a God who speaks and that you speak to us so that we might know you. And so, Father, we pray this morning we might know you better in the person and the man of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. It would be really helpful if you took up your Bibles again and turned to Matthew chapter 8 and those four verses which we will be considering together. Our current sermon series is called Wish You Were Here, and so I think that means I can tell you my holiday stories. Uh, There's one which I remember in particular um, on the scenic railway in the Blue Mountains of Australia. Um, I knew something was wrong when the seat that we sat in had me almost lying flat with a cage over my head. And then it started going down. It was the scariest thing in my life, I think, going down what seemed like a sheer cliff in a rickety cage held by a rope. Um, It was very scary. Um, I was so scared we got to the bottom and my son Harry said, Dad, could you let go of my hand because you're hurting me? (laughs) I don't seem to learn though. So this holiday we climbed 114 steps to the top of the Mull of Galloway lighthouse um, and walked around a ridiculously narrow ledge uh, around the top. I felt like I was a crab kind of going sideways um, around trying to get a view in the fog. Um, But there's many things, isn't there, in life which make us fearful, which make us fear and worry. Um, In the first century, the fear uh, common to all man was not heights or spiders or snakes or anything like that. And now listen to how Seneca put it. Uh, Most men ebb and flow in wretchedness between the fear of death and the hardships of life. Uh, The fear of death. Life was tough in the first century, lived under the shadow of death. The average life expectancy in the first century was under 30. Some put it as low as 20. And that was lowered quite a lot if you imagine the incredibly high infant mortality rate. Yet sickness, if you got sick in the first century, you normally died. There was a very high chance that you would die if you got sick. One person looking at the Hippocratic case studies shows that about 60% of people who were sick died enduring their sickness for anywhere between 2 and 120 days. In this, and much more shows us that in the first century, people perpetually lived under the fear of death, living perpetually under the shadow of death. Yet there is one statistic which is exactly the same now as it was then, And that is that still there is a 100% mortality rate for all people. You see, we as a culture try to push that to the margins such that we don't now perpetually live under the shadow of death. And yet it is there just under the surface. It does bubble into our consciousness from time to time when we find and feel the pain of death. And we as a church family here have felt that very strongly over recent weeks. And my own family has felt that very strongly over the last year. I felt it this week when I heard the news that some good friends of ours, four-year-old daughter, has died. We are living in a world which suffers under the shadow of death. If only we will peel away our idle diversions and see it. And yet what should our response be to this situation? How should we think? How should we react to this world? 
For us struggling under the shadow of death, what should we do? Well, if we can answer the question of the disciples, then I think we will come close to having an answer. Do you see their question there in verse 27? What kind of man is this? The disciples asked, what kind of man is this? Now, there are many people in our world which will give lots of answers to that. That he is some irrelevance of history. That he is an inspirational figure. That he's a comfort for those when things go wrong. I was reading a novel recently, and one of the characters described her faith like this. She said, I've chosen to believe in God in the face of convincing evidence to the contrary and in complete absence of proof. Well, anything a right-thinking person would consider as proof of God's existence. I find it makes life more acceptable, and it becomes easier to make certain decisions and endure certain losses. But it's a choice on my part, only that. And so the other choice, the choice not to believe, is entirely sensible. But you see, what we have in these historical documents of the Gospels is something which points to Jesus being much more than something we believe in the face of all the evidence. Jesus is much more than a story to anaesthetize our fear. What kind of man was this? Well, the first thing to see that he is a man who saves from death. You see, our passage begins with the disciples in a a boat being swamped by waves. It's so much so they cause the disciples to exclaim to Jesus, we are going to drown. Literally, what they're saying is that we are perishing. They are dying is what they are saying. They're crying out, Lord, save us, we are dying. They're being swamped by the waves with the fear of being caught in the sea's tentacles, the fear of sinking into the depths of the sea with no foothold, the fear of sinking under the furious waves which were seeking to pull its victims under with unrelenting power. You can imagine their desperate cries, can you not, as those waves swamped the boat, wave after wave. It must have been a terrifying experience to feel as if they were dying at that moment. Indeed, the whole of chapter 8 has had that shadow of death all the way through. And so in verses 1 to 4, we saw the the man with leprosy who would have looked like a walking corpse. Or the centurion in verse 6 who was paralyzed lying in bed as if he was dead. Or Peter's mother-in-law in in verse 14, who was in bed with a sickness and a fever, probably meaning that she was about to die. And then in the next passage from where we are today, we have demon-possessed men coming from the graves, from the tombs. There is a shadow of death in this chapter of Matthew. And so as we come to this, we are face to face with death. Death which is one of the worst things in our world. It's never a good thing. It robs us of relationships. It robs us of memories. It brings pain and suffering which do not seem to go away. Now we felt that as Kirsty, my wife's dad, died last year. And I continue to see it when we see the absence and the whole um, of him being there when we visit family. And then as a world we continue to feel the suffering that sickness brings, sickness which so often can lead to death. Now I felt that shadow of suffering when I visited my 96-year-old grandpa in hospital a few weeks ago. It was wonderful to see him, and yet there was also pain as he struggled to breathe 
as he tried to speak to me in words which I couldn't understand. I was glad that I could see him and to be able to read the Bible and to pray with him. And yet there was pain and suffering there to see him like that. The suffering to see my family upset by that suffering. And yet that's the world we live in, the world of suffering and death. But what we see in this chapter, chapter 8, and in these verses, is Jesus dealing with death. He is able to save the men on this boat. He's able to still the threat against them. And Jesus comes as one who is able to defeat death. Jesus, with a word, calms the storm. Indeed, the force of death, which is trying to to grab those disciples, is reduced to a calm mill pond. You see in verse 26, Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm, completely calm. The deathly situation is dealt with, and there is calm all around. So in in these verses, there's a deliberate contrast It says that it was a great storm that arose. But then there was a great calm which came at Jesus' words. Just as the storm was enormous and furious, so the calm was stupendously amazing. A picture of there not even being a ripple on the surface of the sea as the disciples rowed to the other side. And in this, we see a picture of what Jesus came for. He came to defeat death, to bring people out from under the shadow of death. But as we observe that, we need to just push slightly further in our thinking. We need to see again the reason that there is death in the world, why we do suffer under the shadow of death. You see, we must never think that death is a normal thing. Death is not meant to be. Men and women are not meant to die. And so when we hear that John Stott died at 90, we're not meant to think what a great life he had. We're meant to think death is not right. People shouldn't die. And so remember that in the Garden of Eden, it was Adam and Eve who brought death into the world. As they rejected their maker, as they rejected the giver of life, the Lord, they faced the punishment for their rejection, which was death. The outcome of rejecting the giver of life was to embrace death instead. They turned from the giver of life and embraced death. And since then, we have shared in that nature. We all face death because of our rebellion from God and do you know, at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, God speaks to Joseph in a dream, and he says this about Mary in verse 21. He says that Mary will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Right from the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, we've been looking at one who was going to come and deal with the problem of death by dealing with people's sins. You see, as Jesus saves us from our sins, he saves us from our death. As our sins are defeated, our death is defeated. As our sins are dealt with by Jesus, he saves us from death. And what we see here is a picture of Jesus doing that. Dealing with the problems of the world. Showing that he can save people 
who are suffering under the shadow of death. What kind of man is this? He is one who comes to save from death. He has great mercy on those suffering under death. Now many of you will know probably that John Stott died recently. He once wrote these remarkable words. One of the most searching tests to apply to any religion concerns its attitude to death. And measured by this, so much so-called Christianity is found wanting in its black clothes, its mournful chants and its requiem masses. Of course, dying can be very unpleasant and bereavement can bring bitter sorrow. But death itself has been overthrown and blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. The proper epitaph to write for a Christian believer is not a dismal and uncertain petition, R.I.P., may he rest in peace, but a joyful and certain affirmation, C.A.D., Christ abolished death. See, that's what Christ came to do in this world. He came to abolish death, and he has done that. Christ came to take away death by removing our sinfulness, and he did that. And in this story of Jesus calming the storm, we see a picture of what Jesus did, of him saving people from death. The disciples cried, we are dying, and yet Christ saved them from death. We can have our sober joy that Christ has abolished death for those who trust in Christ. Death brings great pain and sadness, and yet there is great comfort and joy in knowing that Christ has abolished death, that for those who trust in him there is life to come. What kind of man is this? The sort of person who is able to deal with death for us. And we should marvel at that. We should rejoice in that. We should trust him as we see that. Jesus Christ is the one person in the world who is able to deal with death. And if we look forward in the gospel story, we see Jesus ultimately defeating death as he is raised to life from death. He is one who is able to deal with death. What joy that should bring us. What kind of man is this? He is one who came to save from death. But there is much more in this passage as well. What kind of man is this? He is one with great authority and power. It might seem an obvious point, but it's one that we would do well to dwell on. Jesus had great power and authority. He is able to calm this storm with his words. He's able to control nature through the power of speaking. He could do the extraordinary Now, we instinctively know that those kind of things don't happen. People don't calm storms. So much so that when one Christian student, one student that wasn't a Christian, was asked who Jesus was, he said this, I don't think he's anyone. If he did exist, he might have been a guy that did some nice things for people. But I don't think he walked on water or anything like that. You see, if he had to admit the existence of Jesus a fact no serious historian denies, then he could not have done the miracles because those things just don't happen. And so when I was on a ferry going to the Western Isles a few years ago in a storm, I wanted the boat to stop. And yet I could have stood up and cried to the winds and the waves to stop and nothing would have happened because things don't happen like that. 
Now, the worst thing about that journey was actually when we were half an hour uh, from the end. Um, we were just comforting ourselves in the fact that only half an hour to go and it was all going to be over when the voice came over the tannoy to say, hey, due to the bad weather this evening, we have been delayed by one hour. And I tell you, that was the worst feeling we had had then. But there was nothing that we could do to make it stop. And that would have been the case in Jesus' day. Fishermen didn't stand up on the boat and say to the winds and waves, stop, and they did it. You see, that's why it is so remarkable, because these things just don't happen. This is not every day. This is something which was extraordinary, something which is out of this world, something which people have never seen before. And that's the whole point. Jesus could do what we cannot do. He could do the impossible. This was no ordinary man. What kind of man was this, the disciples asked. Even the wind and the waves obey him. They were amazed by this. No ordinary person could do this, and that's what the disciples realized. You see, this historical document points us to something about this man. He had great power and authority. The centurion in last week's story knew Jesus had great authority. He knew the authority of Jesus. And here again we see Jesus with great authority and power. But as we consider that, Jesus calming the, war, the storm, listen to how the psalmist describes God in various places. And so in Psalm 65, You answer us with awesome deeds of righteousness, O God our Saviour, the hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest sea, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, and the turmoil of the nations. Or Psalm 89, You rule over the surging seas. When its waves mount up, you still them. Or Psalm 107, Others went out to sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. You see, the amazing truth is that it is God himself who does these wonders in the Psalms. A God who has the authority over nature to control it. A God who controls the sea. A God who stills the wave. And yet, here is Jesus Christ, this man, doing exactly that. What kind of man is this? He is one who has power and authority to command the sea, power to calm the waves. He has the authority of God himself to still the sea with his word. This is one with great power and great authority. And how does this man use his great power and his great authority? He uses it in these verses to save these dying men. He stills the storm so that they might go free. He stills the storm so the disciples who are dying might live. He is one who has the power and the authority to bring people out from the shadow of death. You see, we cannot say Jesus is irrelevant for today if he has this kind of power and authority in the world. And yet we see he is one who we'd want to submit to. One who we would want to live, to serve. Because he is one who frees us from the power of death. 
He is one who uses his great power to save us, to bring us out from the shadow of death. What kind of man is this? He is one who saves from death. He is one who has great power and authority. Well, let me finish by saying, have faith in him. You know, you see, we can often worry whether this is all true, can't we? And whether Jesus really can save, whether Jesus really will save. Has Jesus really overcome death? Is he really able to save me? We worry and we fear that this might not be the case. And it would seem that very often fear is the opposite to faith. You see, when the, the disciples woke Jesus up, do you see what they say in verse 26? What Jesus says to them, he replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? You see, these disciples have little faith. They're afraid. They fear that Jesus is not all that he said he would be. That this is all too good to be true. It seems all just a bit too fantastical to believe. That they have little faith that Jesus can do the things that he says he can do. That Jesus would be able to save his people from their sins. If we're going to drown in this storm, how can he do that? And yet we see Jesus who is able to save. But see more than that. Do you see in verse 24? The disciples, the disciples come when Jesus is sleeping to wake him up. Jesus is unconcerned by this great storm that's arose. He's sleeping in the boat. And then when they wake him up, do you see what happens in verse 26? He awakes from his sleep and lies in the boat and doesn't jump up immediately and tell the waves to stop. He says, you have little faith. Why are you afraid? Then he got up. Then he rebuked the winds and the waves. You see, Jesus seems unconcerned by this storm which seems to threaten his whole mission because he knows there is nothing which was going to stop his mission in the world. This storm, this furious squall which had arisen wasn't going to stop him achieving his purposes in the world. He knew he was going to fulfill his mission on the cross And so he is unconcerned by this furious squall. And you see, in our lives, we need to trust in Christ, the kind of man who comes to save from death, who has the power to save from death, and who will save from death, because that's what he came for. For those who trust in him, he saves them from death. We can have great joy and trust in him, because Christ abolished death. So trust in him. The one who achieved his purpose in the world and who is achieving his purpose right now to bring you home to heaven, to give you eternal life with him forever. And so as we live in this world under the shadow of death, trust in him. Brothers and sisters, keep trusting Christ. Uh, Do not turn away from him in fear. Cling closely to your Lord and your Savior. But also marvel with great joy at what he has done. He is one who is able to save from death. He is the only one who can do this in this world. We're going to stand now and declare our confidence in Jesus' ability to save. In the, the words of our final song, In Christ alone my hope is found.
And as the the final verse says, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I will stand. Let's stand and sing.